Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to this Clash of the Titles Clashoween Countdown, the podcast that for the entire month of October pits two horror movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. This week in the red corner, we're shuffling round the shopping mall in 1978 as George Romero invites us to witness the dawn of the dead. While in the blue corner, we're sprinting to the shops as fast as possible as Zack Snyder retools the zombie for a 2004 audience in The Dawn of the Dead. Help! We're in! Now, how the hell are we going to get back? Who the hell cares? Let's go shopping first! Okay. Ah! Watch it! Watch it! Hey, 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 hey! Let's get the stuff we need. I'll get a television and a radio. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, chuck, chuck. Okay. What you wanted that? You do not want to go that way. What's that way? Officer, sir, you do not want to go that way. What's that way? It's pretty bad. What about Fort Pastor? Maybe if you had wings, the road stick with those motherfuckers that way. How do you know? We just tried. Come on. So it's slow zombie versus fast zombie in this week's flesh-eating face-off. But which film will be victorious? Let's find out in another Clash of the Titles. clash win countdown. Ah, 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 ah. the Kraken. Hello, class potters. People aren't willing to accept your solutions, Doctor, and I, for one, don't blame them. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crumpton. I'm back. Yay! Christopher Tilly has returned from uh, his time in a swimming pool in Austin, Texas. How was it? Uh, well, on my day off, geez, you're trying to get me sacked, man. <laughs> um, it was good. It was good. It was good. That was uh, that was Pele, the uh, German Shepherd that I was hanging out with. Um, mm. Yep. <laughs> so uh, hi to Pele if you're listening, and your and your mum and dad, Chris and Jenny. Um, yeah, it was good. Saw lots of films. Um, Wrote lots of reviews, um, talked to some potential future guests. It, oh, good. It was all, oh, good. Yes. Yeah. 
Our, ni- our Knives Out friend might be up for returning, so um, watch this space. But yeah, it was lovely, but I did miss, I did miss you too. Okay, Aww. well, probably... Probably if there's a if there's a risk of you getting sacked by us talking about you spending time in a swimming pool, I'd skip last week's episodes. That's all I'm saying. That's my uh, that's my advice. Probably just give them a miss, a wide berth, because uh, we did talk extensively about you being in a swimming pool. If only because it was jealousy, Chris. That's how it manifested. We weren't trying to get you in trouble. We were just jealous. Oh, I, I listened, Alex. I listened. Oh. <laughs> okay, good. Now I'm on the back foot. Let's move on. Welcome to this week's Clashoween as we continue our countdown to the greatest night of the year with horror clashes to get you in the mood for All Hallows' Eve. And welcome to part one of Dawn of the Dead versus Dawn of the Dead. So these were Victoria's choices this week. V, you gave us a stunning clue in your own words on last week's episode. Let's hear it again. Uh, Chris, have you heard this clue? It's so good. I have. I have. It's excellent. Oh, okay. It's excellent. All I was thinking is, what, does, does stop... that phrase work? Does that phrase work if you're in yeah, America? In the South. Is, I don't is know. That, if, it feels like quite an English phrase, but I loved it. I loved it, Vicky. Thank you. Just listen, in future, just drop me a message, though, yeah? Just tell me that you like stuff like that, just because I do need a little bit of positive feedback every now and then. Anyway, it doesn't matter. God, has this, has this <laughs> clue ever had... Has a clue on the show ever had more of a build-up to this? I mean, it's good. Is it that good? Really good. We're finding out right yeah. now. Here it is, live, yeah. last week's ready? clue for the, for the second time ever. Let's go. Are you feeling all right? You're all over the shop. Yeah. Because <laughs> okay, they're shopping more. <laughs> It's, it's, so beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's uh, beautiful. So, <clears throat> as if it were needed, I did follow up uh, that clue on Twitter uh, with another clue. We're on Twitter at ClashPod, also Instagram, TikTok as ClashPod, uh, and also we've got our own YouTube channel with loads of stuff on there. So do take the time uh, to pay us a visit on one of our social media networks. God, I can't say that without aging really quickly. So. My clue on Twitter, uh, it was it was quite simple. It was a mob a descending on a shopping mall in the US on the infamous Black Friday. Your guesses were discovered eating some brains on our Twitter. Uh, loads of right answers this week compared to last week. Uh, just uh, while we're here, any comment on the clues last week, Chris? No? No? Nope. Um, Good. Good. It, uh, it Excellent. Was, it, was, it was, I mean, I, I started making notes about what was going wrong on the Twitter Um Rather than step in and, and help, <laughs> um, but the, it got too long. The notes, so I, I was going to read them out, but I'm not going to bother. But I mean, I don't know. Just I'm not give me, give upset. Me the headline. I'm not upset. I'm, I'm just dis- I'm disappointed. If I'm honest, <laughs> oh, that's even worse. Okay, yeah. Um, listen, as I said on last week's show, if you're going to come with the emotion of disappointment uh, so present on your lovely bearded visage, then I am going to need you to tell me what you would have done as a clue for Black Death versus the Witch. I mean, I would have obviously done a sentence uh, punning on the word witch, uh, which way home, any mm. which way but loose. Just puns are really good for clues, Alex. So for next time, mm. have, have a think. It's actually all right, yeah, okay. You know when you get told off and the person telling you off is correct, you just have to shut up and take it. So, yeah, that's that's actually really good. 
Right, let's get back to this week. Congrats to B, Robert Farley, Rich Cracknell, Gemma Page, Peter Stirrup, who called it Dawn of the Dead versus Alex Zane's Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Uh, they almost won but taking the crown this week with the first correct answer uh, well done Rob McLean this is Rob's first ever guess the clue entry and he's only gone and won it so Rob McLean your prize this week is to survive the coming zombie apocalypse fortunately you'll be holed up in a shopping mall unfortunately you'll have flyboy Steve with you who's an idiot and potentially a bigger threat to your survival than the zombies enjoy connection section we doing it nah I didn't I'll be honest (laughs) I wrote keys at one point and I was like what am I doing so I stopped Good. Uh, why? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Please. there are a lot of wrote, homages, aren't there? <laughs> There's a surprising yeah. amount of homages in the in the remake. Uh, watching them back to back, it was it was interesting to see just how many they've stuck in. So I guess we'll talk about the connections, but on Thursdays. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's for me. I just wrote down all the uh, all the cameos that happened in two thousand four from nineteen seventy eight. But yeah, why don't we talk about them on Thursday then? Because obviously they are in many ways. The same film and yet different. So on Thursday, I'll be racing through 2004's Dawn of the Dead, which means today Chris is being slow as he tackles 1978's Dawn of the Dead. Chris, take us on a journey. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will go shopping. That's the premise of George Romero's belated Night of the Living Dead sequel, set during a zombie outbreak and revolving around a group of survivors holding up in a mall pretty successfully until a bunch of biker humans arrive. Released in 1978, it's a movie with a message about fake news, about cops being racist, about women not having the right to decide and about consumerism and enslaving humanity. So it's great that 44 years later, the world has moved on from all that nonsense. For your podcasting pleasure... The original Dawn of the Dead. See, see what I did there? I got a bit political. Woo. Woo. Good, good. <laughs> I, I was, I was watching. I would say we are recording uh, remotely today, so I can always see both of you. I don't have to turn my head and saw Vicky nodding along there, like yes, did correct, <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> I mean, it's fisting it, the air. It was all she, exactly all she could do, apart from go yes, go Chris. <laughs> Vicky, Vicky actually wasn't listening until I said women not having the right to decide, and suddenly the head went up. Those eyes pinged open; they lit up with that that fierce energy that comes with the mention of women. Um, Are you enjoying yourselves, <laughs> Vicky? When did you first see uh, the original Dawn of the Dead? I saw it when I was uh, about 22 because it's a Mark Parsons VHS. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, of course it is. So, same as same as all those Mark Parsons VHS moments, uh, I was stoned, I was bored, <laughs> but I, I watched it and there we are and that's it. Alex? Uh, saw it once, only once, amazingly, when I was about 10 years old and I was way too young for it. I remember finding the zombies scary, but also... I will say this. I do remember getting quite bored. Uh, as a 10-year-old, I needed films that were a little more kinetic, uh, both in terms of the protagonists and the uh, the editing, let's say. It just, I found it quite slow. But I do remember enjoying it. But like I said, so young that this potentially really, if I brought it down to the, the, the kernel of this, was kind of a first watch for me. So 
yeah, I've seen it, but I haven't seen it. Interesting. Uh, I, I, when I started watching horror films in my mid-teens, I watched all the Romero movies I could get my hands on. So I saw this then. I then watched Night of the Living Dead a bunch of times because in my first job I wrote a feature about Night of the Living Dead. And I watched Dawn of the Dead again then, and I haven't seen it since. So it's been a while. And, um, yeah, it was fun watching it back-to-back with uh, the, the Zack Snyder as well. I found that fascinating. So, yeah, should we do a bit mm. of background on this one? Please. I'm going to start. I'm going to start with Night of the Living Dead as well because that's where the story really starts. Um, George Romero wanted to make a movie. Um, he raised funds by partnering with a bunch of companies in Pittsburgh, and he decided to make it about society being replaced by another society, uh, and went with zombies. Um, there'd been zombie movies in the past, but normally they were all connected to voodoo and set in the Caribbean. And this was very different. It's a virus killing the majority of people on Earth and turning others into zombies. Um, but not the sort of docile zombies of tradition. These these ones, these zombies eat flesh and they've got some form of sort of self-control. So this came out in 68 and people hated it. Um, Reader's Digest thought it would encourage cannibalism and tried to get it banned. Um, but that didn't work and it became a, <laughs> it became a huge hit. Um, you guys fans Sorry, of the original? I just realised what you've just said. You're right. Um, it's like, what? Uh, Do- Reader's Digest? Yeah, what it would... In- <laughs> But also to encourage cannibalism makes it sound like cannibalism is is quite a big deal already and that people can be just sort of (laughs) the nudge effect. (laughs) They could be convinced Uh, to take it up, whereas uh, it is quite rare, I think. Mr and Mrs Smith, uh, we've brought you into school today to talk about uh, little Stephen. Um, (laughs) Stephen's eaten Graham. Uh, He just went at him (laughs) and and we we believe it may have been rooted in in this film. Uh, So, yeah, he just took his ear right off in science. Right off. (laughs) Charlie bit my Inside. finger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, pop culture. Pop culture. <laughs> from five, ten years ago. Yay. It's the dawn of YouTube. <laughs> it's more than The second ten, video ever on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. The first ever meme. Yay. Um, have you guys <laughs> seen? The first video on YouTube to hit a hundred views. <laughs> Are you fans of Night of the Living Dead? What are your thoughts on that one before we dig I into mean, this one? Like, can I be perfectly honest? Obviously, I respect it for what it is, but I found it quite boring. <laughs> so, so there we go. But I get it. You know, I know it's important. Yeah, for want of for want for want of undoing uh, any goodwill we've uh, <laughs> we've built up over the years, uh, I made it through half of it, and I was like, "Fuck this shit! This is so slow." So I uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've only seen half of Night of the Living Dead, and uh, I'd like to say goodbye. It's been a pleasure being a host on Clash Pod. Uh, good night. <laughs> it's got one of the it's got one of the greatest endings in film history, Alex. Oh, you just I know it was another the, forty minutes. I, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's I'm, I'm in the wrong here. I'm in the wrong. The, the African-American hero survives the night and then redneck policemen shoot him dead. Oh. Yeah, oh, I'm aware. I'm aware. It's, I, I think part of me doesn't want to see that because I think I found out about the ending and I'm like, that's going to really depress me. And you know I need a happy ending. And a little girl eats her mum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but it was, as I said, it was a huge hit. Uh, but poor George Romero didn't understand the business of film all that well. So he didn't manage to retain the rights. And that's why you see Night of the Living Dead in the background on tellies and everything, because there's no copyright. 
attached to Night of the Living Dead. Um, so on to this one. Um, when I was doing my research, I found an interview between Simon Pegg and George Romero that I forgot I organised and transcribed. Um, <laughs> 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 and it's proved to be quite useful. So um, Simon Pegg uh, says to George Romero, um, it's been 37 years since Night came out. I was wondering if when you were making the first one, you ever realised you'd return to the story as often as you did. And George says, no, I resisted doing another one for a while. The movie actually made some money when it first came out, but I didn't want to get typecast. I didn't want to just do horror. I didn't think of them as zombies. It was the 60s, man. We were just smoking and talking about politics. It was about revolution. I wanted to see what happened on that first night and how people dealt with it. And so that's what led into him making Dawn of the Dead. He visited Monroeville Mall in Pennsylvania with a friend whose company managed the complex. And he noticed the vacant yet focused looks on shoppers' faces. And that was when Dawn of the Dead was born. Um, he wrote it in Italy with Dario Argento. And as part of their deal, Dario retained the European rights and eventually recut the movie, which is why there's a bunch of cuts of this movie, as you mentioned last week, Alex, out there right now. Um, I feel did, like uh, someone needed to did, buy did George. Ch did George not learn anything from the first time round? He's like, right, okay, so I got totally screwed on Night of the Living Dead. This time, I'm going in all guns blazing. Yeah, Dario, have them. Shit, I've done it again. Just, just buy a book <laughs> on business, George. But buy a book on business. Um, it's heartbreaking. He's such a nice man, and it's so tragic that this happened twice. Um, but he ended up shooting the movie in that mall. Um, they were allowed to shoot from 11pm at night uh, to 7am in the morning. Um, they took a month off uh, for Christmas because of all the decorations. And during that month, they were able to edit the footage and came back with new ideas and the ending changed, which um, we'll get to. But it was very tough um, shooting in that mall. Uh, one thing that they talked about on the on the documentary behind the scenes is there's these glass reflections everywhere in a mall. And so they couldn't hide themselves. And um, <laughs> uh, and they had real trouble as well getting insurance because um, they just kept breaking things and breaking other people's things. <laughs> so um, they got it done and there were fights over the rating and the length of the movie. Um Argento felt it had too much humour. So in his version of the film, um, the jokes are gone. There's more gore. And um, that's the version that caused censors in foreign markets to crack down hard on the film. And then in America, the MPAA um, had to, it threatened to impose an X rating if they didn't make cuts. Um, Romero refused um, and uh, because of the stigma of, of pornography with an X rating. So he was able to persuade his distributors to release the film with no rating Although in all advertising, they had to write a disclaimer saying that there was no explicit sex in the film, but it was so violent that no one under 17 would be admitted. And I think it's fair to say that this was sort I, of a vanguard. I read about, I read about this. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I, this is fascinating. I, I read the same thing as you, Chris, and I just, I was like, was he the first to do this? Because this sounds like a brilliant marketing tool. Like if your film is going to be slapped with an X rating and you go, actually screw the MPAA, we're, we're not going to let them rate it at all. We're going to say it's unrated. That in itself, you know, if I saw a movie today that was said, this isn't even an 18 uh, in the UK, this is so bad, like we, we haven't rated it, I'd be like, yes, I am seeing that. Like, how was this not a tool that any filmmaker used beforehand? Well, firstly, the trouble is a lot of cinemas then won't carry it without a rating. So you've got a problem getting the film into cinemas. But you're right. I mean, this is what happened in the early 2000s is I think Hostel released an unrated version on, on Blu-ray, on DVD rather, and everyone mm. bought it. And so suddenly you've got unrated versions of 
like PG rated comedies were suddenly unrated and everyone went and watched them again. <laughs> yeah. um, well, mainly you probably, Alex, but um, they duped people <laughs> into double American dipping, Pie, the wedding unrated is, is, is brilliant. I love the American Pie unrated series. Whoa, it's like a different film. Um, but yeah, he got it out there, and, he, and it, in spite of that, it did make money. And he made another, and then another, and then another, and they got progressively worse. Um, but I think this is uh, considered just, the high uh, watermark. For, for, for the record, I uh, I know I've banged on. I may have told this story, so but I know I've banged on about the movie we're talking about on Thursday. But I am also a, a zombie. I've been directed by George Romero in Land of the Dead, which I believe is the fourth film, um, yeah. which was. Uh, quite an amazing experience. Uh, I was in Toronto. It was about, I'd say about, it's the coldest I've ever been. Um, I was, it was about minus 10 or something ridiculous. And we were shuffling along. And it's the scene, if you know Land of the Dead, where the zombies are in a town and the, the humans raid the town for supplies and they launch fireworks, which was such a nifty idea, like the idea that zombies are distracted by fireworks. So they fire these fireworks and we're all like, and look at the fireworks while they're sticking, um, nicking supplies. But the thing was, <laughs> good time to cough i was smoking a lot at that point like like a lot a lot and because it was minus nine they were like okay so obviously zombies don't breathe you guys have to hold your breath um and i'm like <laughs> all right and they're like yeah for 45 seconds otherwise the scene is screwed and i'm like uh, all right i think i can do that couldn't do that i was like by the end of those 45 seconds and we must have done it about six or seven times i was like Oh my god! I just can't. I can't do this again because I'm like. <laughs> but it was um, it was a lot of fun being directed by George Romero in Dawn of did the Dead. He, Land of the Dead. Land of the Dead. Did he tell? Did he actually direct you? Did he give you direction, Alex? No, no, he didn't. No, no, no. He was there. <laughs> I Listen, I, I, story. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because I think I think the statement that you I'm hoping the statement you're asking is: Did George Romero come to me and go? That was shit. Stop breathing. <laughs> um, he, he like he was there, but he didn't. Uh, he wasn't like uh, so the the zombie with the great hair because they didn't put a bald cap on me. I'll put, do you know what? I'm gonna put. I've got the photo. I'm gonna put the photo on Twitter because it, it's it's quite an amazing photo. I, I look like a zombie with the greatest hair a zombie has ever had. If I do say so myself, it just looks really well conditioned. I'd washed it that morning in the hotel room and it's like very luscious hair that doesn't quite fit with a decomposing flesh body. I mean, I only asked that question because he says he doesn't direct uh, his zombies because he feels like if he directs them, they'll all do the same thing. And so he just lets people get on with it. Say, so he just says, be a zombie. And he's done that for years, which is easy work if you can get it. Um, <laughs> I actually um, went up to Edinburgh to interview him for Land of the Dead and mm. um, he was just the nicest, most gentlemanly, kindly man. He's also a giant. Um, he's one of the tallest directors I've ever met. His glasses were yeah. as big as my head. I can remember that. <laughs> but um, it was 11am and we were at the film house in Edinburgh and um, the publicist said, would I like a drink? So I ordered a tea and he ordered a double whiskey. And so I thought, rock Legend. and roll, George, rock and roll. So I said, all right, I'll have what he's having. And so we just sat there on a Sunday morning drinking whiskey together and chatting. Legend. Yeah. I, I imagine that if he orders a double whiskey at that time, he's probably at that point in your life more capable of drinking a double whiskey for breakfast than you were. I imagine that things got pretty sloppy your end pretty fucking oh, quickly. No, I didn't. I, I didn't finish the interview. I had to be carried out. But the first five minutes were fantastic. <laughs> 
<laughs> when uh, when people when I say be a zombie and people can't be a zombie, I give them a double shot of whiskey for <laughs> breakfast. Uh, right, let's dig into this one then. So um, we're kicking off the movie in the studio. And the proverbial is really hitting the fan. There's arguments, there's chaos, there's fear. The dead are returning to life and attacking the living. And people are questioning the media and there's misinformation and they're trying to figure out how to keep people watching. And it all feels very, very ahead of its time. Um, This opening scene, uh, Vicky, um, I mean, I couldn't remember it, to be honest. (laughs) I thought they were in the mall within two minutes. (laughs) Um, So what do you think of this opening scene? I think it's brilliant. So I was being um, petty before, and I was like, "Oh, it was boring. It was boring," but that's because I I was I was a youngster um, when the last time I watched it, and then when I watched it again in the week, I mean, I'm not the first person to say this, but it's very well directed, isn't it? So so the scene in the studio, I was like, "Oh, we're going to be all right," because it's just it's it's incredible. Like you know, all those. Uh, trying to weave in all those different storylines, all those different strands to then eventually get the gang together. So you've had just a little cheeky bit of exposition, not too much, but you do feel that sense of chaos. Also, you don't see an actual zombie for absolutely ages. And when you're watching it as a modern viewer, that's you're like, oh, is this, this going to work? Because you, your appetites are different. But the chaos of there are zombies everywhere without seeing an actual zombie is is, is amazing, really. Yeah. yeah, and they they give us all the information we need that everybody that's not exterminated becomes one of them. They get up and kill. The people it kills gets up and killed. You've got to destroy the brain or sever the brain from the rest of the body. Like, it's a really economical way of telling you uh, all the instructions you need for the rest of the film. Yeah, it's great. The way the... Um... Uh, the the way the, the the I guess the head of the channel the the, the big time the big time producer keeps going. You need to leave the information on screen about the rescue centres. And someone's going, those rescue centres are no more. They've been destroyed. And you're like, oh my! You get a real sense of the chaos happening in the world. Um, and also, I guess you know, for me, like having not seen Night of the Living Dead, it's kind of like you really sort of this is this is a sequel. So you are sort of like. it's you're thrown in at the deep end it's like this shit is going on there's no you know we are carrying on from the first film i'm right in thinking that having not seen night of the living dead this is like a bona fide sequel the same these are the same events taken to the next level yeah i mean roughly they they all happen in the same universe i mean uh, night of the living dead happens over the course of a night when the the day it kicks off uh, and and this happens over the course of a long period of time um that that just after it's all kicked off so um, yeah, that's his that's his idea that they're all happening in the same universe. And of course, Shaun of the Dead is supposedly happening the same time all this is happening, although, you know, it was made a long time later. But it's all the same event, basically, essentially. I love the opening, apart from the fact that um, Goblin, Goblin are one of the great, you know, musical score artists, you know, the prog rock band do, do, did a lot of Argento's uh, music. Um, in the opening credits, they're called The Goblins. How, yeah. how do you make yeah. that mistake? Yeah. And how many people would have to have seen that for that to get through? Mm-hmm. Weird. It's just weird. I'm livid. I'm livid. Uh, all right. We're into while the we're tenements. The of, while we're on the subject of, of Goblin, before we get to the tenements, just on the subject of Goblin. So, uh, you know, Vicky and I discussed this and you mentioned it. At the end of last week's show, uh, we were like, oh, which version are you going to watch? Which version are you going to watch? I, having read around this movie, I'm not sure which version I watched. I, I, it's it, on, on Amazon, it was the theatrical cut. So this is... 
The reason I asked the question is because there was a lot of music in it that I was like, okay, that's an interesting choice, which was Goblin. <laughs> but apparently Romero took out a lot of the Goblin stuff and replaced it with like actual, uh, I think, library music um, because it, 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 the Goblin stuff was so, you know, off kilter. Um, so I, but there was still a lot in the version I watched. So I'm not sure yeah. if it was no, if it was Romero's a, cut or there's a lot of Goblin in the theatrical cut, which is the one we all watch, which is the one on um, Amazon. I mean, you might be talking about right. the gonk at the end. We will get to the gonk at the end, which is mu- the music used oh, in Shaun of the Dead as well, um, because that is that is a Romero cut. Um, but it's it's a strange it's a strange song choice in a strange moment in the film. Uh, but before we get there, yes, as I said, we're in the tenement where the SWAT team are, are going into a, a flat that's filled with people from Puerto Rico, I think. And you've got a trigger happy racist. Um, you've got a SWAT guy called Pete, yeah. uh, played by the legendary uh, Ken Foray, who kills the, the racist. And they're there to arrest someone, it would seem, which I find one of the strangest things in the film, because you'd feel like there are more pressing matters in the world than... <laughs> Heading in there to arrest a criminal. Um, I, I love the. Um, this is where you we mentioned f- the racist. You mentioned the racist cop, Wooly. Um, awful, awful human being. But I did. I did write down. It's it's kind of amazing because they, they've launched gas into the building and everyone's wearing gas masks apart from Wooly. And I was just like, he's so racist. He doesn't even need a gas mask. <laughs> they um they break into a room and get we get a first good look at a zombie and the makeup's kind of grey and that's a strange thing because there, there was no colour in Night of the Living Dead because it was in black and white and so we couldn't see what the zombies looked like um and Savini says um he regrets um the colours that he's used here because he thinks they look too the, the grey makeup ended up looking too blue and so he feels like really the blue. zombies in Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, he feels like they look too blue because it was grey and he wanted them to look grey. So, um, that no, they don't. They look blue. They 100% look, they look blue as you like. I think maybe they just saved yeah, all... They... It felt like they saved all the money for the end for when the lead characters turn because they look brilliant. Like when Steven turns and... Um, um, is it Roger? Roger Steven. Roger, Roger. Um, uh, they look really good, but these are the, these zombies don't. They don't look scary. Um, they just look blue. Um, it's fine. It's good because it lulls. I found it good because it lulls you in. You think, oh, this is going to be all right. I'm not scared of this at all. And then by the time you get to the end and it's really gruesome, that's a it's sort of a double hit because you weren't expecting it. But they do. Look, I mean, being honest, they do look a bit silly now. But this first appearance of the zombie, though, is. I just think it's so, so good because, you know, the argument is slow zombies, fast zombies. And, you know, immediately you're like, well, fast zombies are infinitely more scary. But the thing is, in this room where the cop goes in and they don't know the rules, I don't think. I think he doesn't shoot him in the head initially. And the zombie is missing a leg. And you're just sort of like you as a human in this situation have all the advantage over a slow zombie, especially a slow zombie that can't even stand. It's dragging itself across the floor. And yet... The cop nearly dies because he's an idiot, because he uses all his bullets and he ends up almost being bitten by the zombie. And in that moment, you remember that the worst thing about slow zombies is that if a slow zombie, especially a singular slow zombie as opposed to a horde, actually manages to kill you, not only are you dead, but you're dead and a fucking idiot, which is even worse that's why slow zombies actually are as good in a different way to fast zombies because you die and you die an idiot. 
Oh, well said, Alex. Um, so, uh, Vicky mentioned Roger. We meet him. He's he's a new guy on the SWAT team, and he's terrified. And they find um, uh, flesh-eating zombies in the basement eating flesh. And I guess the people, it's their loved ones, and they're keeping them down there. I, because we're still figuring out what's happening, and you're not just going to, you know, chuck your, your loved one off the balcony. You're going to h- wait for a, a, a cure or, or hope that something's going to change. And so... I sort of like this aspect of it, although Pete doesn't. He shoots everyone down there. And then uh, the army burst in <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and we're into the chopper. And we've got our, our team. Uh, we've got Stephen, Francine, uh, Roger and Pete. And they're heading to an island, a fabled island uh, for safety. And we see the scale of what's <laughs> happening from the sky. And um, listening to Romero talk about this, in his, in his eyes, this is the moment in the outbreak where it's about 50-50 in terms of humans and zombies. And then in the next films, it's tipping into the zombie. There's more zombies than humans, but this is, this is the tipping point effectively. Um, we see the rednecks enjoy- enjoying it. It's sort of a party atmosphere with them drinking beer and playing music while they kill, which is kind of the people um, who killed the hero at the end of night of the living dead. I think that sort of connects us uh, to those uh, sort of ignoramuses uh, and they stop for fuel. Um, and a zombie gets scalped by chopper blades. Mm. Uh, yeah. This is this is a gore gag uh, that was supposed to be used uh, at the ending of the film when it was going to be sort of a suicidal uh, climax. But they changed their minds midway through and used the gag here. Uh, what, what what do you think of this one, Alex? Uh, a big fan of this one, and I didn't know the fact. <laughs> I imagine you're going to go into more detail about that ending later on. But because uh, you first see the zombie and you're like, that's a terribly high forehead for a zombie because he looks like <laughs> Frankenstein. You're like, wonder what that's about. And then obviously, like, oh, that's what it's about. But as far as, <clears throat> you know, I mean, we've all watched so many zombie movies. You basically like any new kill, any kill I haven't seen before, I'm in. And it's great. Yeah. There's a funny bit of trivia as well. Makeup artist Tom Savini, more on him later, uh, chose his friend Jim Crutt to play the helicopter zombie because he was notorious for having a low forehead. <laughs> um, so notorious. <laughs> um, uh, while they're on the ground, um, Pete is attacked by some zombie kids. Um, big moment here. The zombies are running. Yeah, Those fast, kids are legging it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fine. I mean, yeah. Makes That's no logical interesting. sense. I mean,. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I, look, this is a subject to talk about on Thursday, but I did read and I only read it one place. And, I, you know, so you, you're always like fact check, fact check, fact check. But I did read that Romero's initial desire for the zombies was to have them a little bit faster than they are. But it just be- became sort of too complicated a movie to shoot with that number of extras all moving that quickly. So that's one of the reasons why the zombies are slower. It, am I the? I, 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 is that just nonsense? Is that someone like going? It was fine that Zack Snyder made them fast because Romero wanted them fast in the first place. I don't know. As Alan Partridge says, zombies by their very nature are inconsistent. So Romero's inconsistent here, and we'll find on Thursday. <laughs> Zack <laughs> Zach, <laughs> Zach Snyder's inconsistent though, because there's a couple of moments in in 2004: Dawn of the Dead where they go slow when it suits him um, for for the mm. suspense right. and attention. So I. I but um, anyway, 
I like I like the I like the uh, angry zombie fast kids. But they get in the air and they realize they've got no food, yeah. no water, no radio, and they see a mall. And then because shopping malls were so new, I don't even know if we had any over here. They need to explain them all. So uh, someone says, That's "Looks like a shopping center over there." Like... Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Like, but what is they, a shopping center? New. It's just lots of shops. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't realize that. I was like, why are they explaining what a, a shopping centre is? But yes, I just didn't realise how new. Because we had we had shopping centres in the 70s, did we not, in this country? I mean, I wasn't alive. Not I, I, I can't swear to it. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't go to I, one. I, there wasn't the, one near me until I was about 10 or 12, I wouldn't say, in my, in my neck of the woods. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, again, I can't. I can't verify, but I, I think the singular difference is while we had shopping malls in the UK, they tended to be built in period buildings, like they just sort of repurposed the period building and put loads of shops in them. Whereas this is a purpose-built shopping mall, yes. like an entire building that was constructed solely for you know consumerism. Yeah. Um. And and more on shopping malls in the quiz. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to take oh, a quick... Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Is it a mall-based quiz? Oh, I've been waiting for this moment. What you, what you don't know is I really know malls. <clears throat> I did tell you about three weeks ago that I'd written the most boring quiz we've ever done. That's coming up soon. Uh, but before then, we're going to take a quick break and then we're back in the mall. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Uh, 
Okay, and we're back, and we're in the mall, uh, and there's zombies there because it's instinct, memory, what they used to do, an important place in their lives. Um, he must have been well happy, George, when he made that connection, that, that us as shoppers are I basically zombies. He must yeah. have been like, yes! I get it, but I don't like the judgment, and I think, right, we are, we've been raised... In a uh, late capitalist Western society, and that we do get pleasure from shopping. That's not our fault. That's just what we're raised to believe in. That that little that little hit, that little dopamine hit when you find just the perfect thing, will solve all your problems. I would like to break out of it, but it takes like an extraordinary act of like self conscious realization and to shake off all this bad faith and all the rest of it. And I don't feel capable of it. And I don't want George Romero to make out like I'm a fucking moron just because I enjoy going to Debenhams every so often. I, I was I about do. to say that. <laughs> well, I did before it shut you're down. So, you're acting like you're you're so judged here, Vicky. I'm I'm really surprised. <laughs> I, I do <laughs> I do feel judged. The emptiness inside me that shopping promises to fill and does not is not my fault, George. It's just the system in which I was raised. And I don't need you to be throwing any shade on me for that. But I get it. And it's a very, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, at the time, it must have been like quite a mind-blowing point. Like, oh, when we shop, we're like zombies. But now, obviously, this is not his fault. But like you're watching it sort of 40 years later. And it feels a bit studenty and a bit facile. I think it gets more complex later, um, which is why it gets a pass from me, where the, the gang are not happy, even though they've got everything they want. But at the moment, when the zombies are like, I like this scene where they're sort of like going, oh, I'm on the escalator and I'm so I'm so stupid. I just felt I felt a bit judged, personally. Wow. Well, George, wow. George, would be very, George would be very happy that he gets a pass uh, from you. Um, Alex, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. did you feel attacked when you watched this film? No. <laughs> no, not at all. That's so weird. I was like, yeah, we, I mean, I don't know. I, I, you know, I guess... If anything, it's sort of like now you look at it in a different way. You're like, oh, God, how dare he ever go at shopping malls? They're, they're, they're fucking, they're on hard times as it is. Everyone's shopping online. Yeah. And <laughs> like, you can't, you mm. can you know, I mean, what is, what happens if a zombie apocalypse, you know, do people sort of, is a zombie apocalypse now a lot of corpses on Amazon still trying to buy <laughs> like some, like, you know, <laughs> some cheap like garden furniture? Oh, <laughs> it's click. Click. It's like we don't we don't have this anymore. But no, I didn't feel attacked. And I don't have that thing about shopping. Like I hate shopping. So I'm like, you know, I I possibly Mm. I I, I'm possibly in the camp that sort of like judges people who go like my including my own mum. She's like, should we go in? Like when she comes down to London, she's like, I'd love to go down Oxford Street. I'm like, why? Why would you want? It's awful. It's just. She's like, well, I want to maybe they're just. I'm like, do you need? Do you need something? Do you actually need to do something? Like, no, I just want to go look at some shit. Want to go look at some shoes? I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. That's no, I don't want to just go and look at stuff. I mean, what? It's mad. So yeah, I'm very much on the in the George Romero camp. Judge them, judge them. <laughs> uh, so they get organised. They turn on some music. They turn on the fountains. They turn on the exhibits. The zombies are loving it. We have the sort of fun and games of of the script where they shop for a TV and a radio and they get chocolate. And it's all a bit like a, a big episode of Supermarket Sweep. Um, mm. Someone slides down the middle of an escalator, which looks like fun. Uh, cool. They kill a few Roger. zombies, which looks like fun. Roger. Um, Roger, I love, I love Roger. 
Roger's great. That bit where he slides down the escalators, uh, interesting yet boring piece of trivia. Those are actually uh, escalators at JC Penney. They weren't in the mall. So uh, if you ever want to slide down those escalators, if they're still there, JC Penney's where to go. So Roger's great. I'm in love with Roger right now. I touched on this at the start, and you've sort of you've not mentioned it yet. I'm hoping you're going to mention it. Stephen is an idiot. Stephen is such an idiot in this film. Like, Stephen, already, and I, I think the film knows he's an idiot, already we've had Roger, not once, not once, they do the gag twice, where Roger goes, that is not how to fire a gun, you moron, I'll do it for you. And they play the same gag, where, like, Steve's like, bang, oh, fuck, bang, 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 bang. And then Roger just appears <laughs> behind him and goes, bang. And it's like, oh, and he's dead. And they do it twice. And here, Steve is like running around, causing problems, getting into shit, being chased by zombies, needing saving. Stephen only survives as long as he does in this film with the help of others and just sheer blind luck. Stephen's an idiot. I don't think I need to say it now. Because he just wants to be one of the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he wants to be one of like the big grown-up boys, doesn't he? Like he wants to be like Roger and Peter so much so mm. that he leaves his pregnant girlfriend alone with no weapon up top oh. with the spam, and to go and like just be one of the boys. And I think by the when oh, they give him a, a bit of respect, when he's like he does something, oh with the heating ducts, that's it. He's like, I found a plan of the heating ducts, and they're like, you're one of us now, and he loves mm. it. Like I, I thought it was quite sweet. Yeah, I'd leave Franny upstairs though, because Franny is a fucking, fucking nightmare. useless dead weight. Oh my, a dead weight. Oh, <laughs> but I mean, literally, it's like you, Franny. You were in the helicopter with us. You saw what was going on in the world. I don't like it here. I want to go. Why are you hanging out with them? Hang out with me. I want to go to Canada. You said we were going to Canada. It's like, oh my, put a bullet in her. Put a bullet in her. In it, in it. It's not her fault. It's just the script. Every time she does something, she has to have a cry, and no one else does cry. That's the thing. I'm, I'm not, it's not like, oh, I'm a woman. Every time I do something dangerous, I've got to have a massive big cry about it. But this, she's like, oh, a zombie touched me. Sob, 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 sob. Yeah. Oh, I got left by myself. Sob, sob, sob. It's just what people think someone like that, how she would react. It's, um, but it's, it's the script's fault. It's so weird because at the start when she's in the studio, she seems like the most resourceful person there while the world's going to shit around her. She's like going, no, we need to stay on the air. Take that thing off the screen. Those centres are closed. In control, in control. And Steve's like, do you want to come in my helicopter? We need to get away. She's like, I've got shit to do here, Steve. Piss off. And like, you're like, oh, my God, Franny's going to be like one of those. And then the minute a zombie like gets within two metres of her, she goes into a fucking coma. She's like, oh, God. (laughs) It's like, where's the Franny I liked gone? I don't like it, Steve. A zombie looked at me a bit funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Francine becomes four months pregnant. Um, <laughs> she does. And then Pete. It's such a weird Pete. scene. It really upset me. Like, officer and abortion? <laughs> it's a, which yeah, is so Pete, It's Pete, not that. Pete it's offers just, to... Sorry, I was. I really wanted to hear Alex talk about this. Um, the pregnant woman. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm good. Did you see me? I've done my franny stuff, and I'm, now I've gone exceptionally quiet. Carry on. All right, Vicky, you can speak. Okay, thanks. Chris. Uh, that's great. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to do this podcast. I want to go to Canada. Cool. <laughs> I do want to go to Canada. I just. It's fine that she's pregnant. Because I like the fact that, you know, the, the ticking clock of that. But it re- the scene just threw me where Pete's like, 
yeah, look, if you want an abortion, I can do that. And it's like, how, how can you do that? Why can you do that? It's quite a serious medical procedure, which if it's done badly, you will die. So why did you learn how, where and when did you learn how to do um, a backstreet abortion? Pete, it's just really through me. And then, but doesn't mm. throw her. So she's like, look, Stephen, our friend Peter has just offered us an abortion, which I'm tempted to take. So what do you want to do? It's like, make up your mind time. No, it's not. The, the abortion that Peter's offered you, I don't think is a real option because he might kill you. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's such an effective moment because initially when he offers the abortion, you are like, oh, my God, what did he just say to her? Did he really just <laughs> yeah. say that? And then a second later, you're like, actually, looking at the state of the world, it's a completely reasonable suggestion that he has made. And he hasn't said, you need to do this. He said, look, I can help with this. And it does give the choice to her because the world has gone to shit and she is going to be giving birth in that room. So he's providing her with a very reasonable solution, as mad as that sure, sounds. Sure, I just don't know, where did he learn to do it? It's I don't know. It's yeah. I, I, That's the thing that threw me. If he'd have gone, oh, I did a little bit of medical training and I can do it, I would have been, that's fine. But I don't understand. I don't think it's part of like basic training, is it? <laughs> like, when would that skill be called upon in his day to day life? That's the bit that threw me. Not the not the offering of the abortion, which does make sense. Just that, why would he be the person to do it? That makes no sense. But I don't think he'd be offering it if he didn't know how to do it. So you just got to just got to believe. I fucking him. hope not. <laughs> just just do it for a laugh. I'll give it a shot. Give it a shot. I've always yeah, wanted. Always wanted to. Always wanted to do this, and uh, you know. But fortune smiles on the brave, and here we are. <laughs> um, Might be a useful skill to have. Would be good to get a bit of practice in. Hundred percent. I, I, once this is all over, once this is all over, that's what I plan on doing. Um, I think you need a medical license <laughs> in Canada. What, do you? Yeah. <laughs> so they uh, they go get some trucks to block the entrance, and a woman attacks Roger, and and Pete blows a hole in her head, covering him in blood. And the shock of that moment seems to change something in him. He sort of starts to lose it. He becomes a bit reckless, and he and he gets bitten. Um, mm. They tool up did in a gun think, shop. Did you, Sorry, did you draw yep. the analogy between how him and Woolly sort of? Because at the start, Roger is shocked by Woolly's like like mm. uh, hate uh, towards the Puerto Ricans. I think you said they were in the the tenements, and he's mm. like, "Oh my god, yeah. that Woolly guy's awful." And he he does become Woolly just about zombies. Like yeah, he takes pleasure in I killing think... them. I think there's an aspect of PTSD hitting him here. That's that's how I read it. That this he's sort yeah. of getting driven mad by what he's just sort of what he's living through, and then what he experiences in this moment. I think it sort of sent, pushes him over the edge a little bit. Yeah, I think I, I was just I, because I'm. A, I know, like to, you know, there are no rules, but I think because you're so ingrained in zombie law, and like I'm going back to this, having watched a billion zombie movies, like I'm sort of like, what are the rules? Because to me, if you get zombie blood in your mouth, like the fact that it's sort of, yeah, I know what it's doing. Like, like what, like you said, it's like it's it's creating a moment that is so shocking for Roger that he loses his shit. But to me, if you film blood from a zombie's head going in someone's mouth, you're actually leaning into he's already infected before he's got bitten mm -hmm. because blood, zombie blood, infected mouth. So I got a bit distracted by that. But that's not the film's fault. That's, you know, the fact that there's been a billion zombie movies with different sort of rules of how you get infected since. Yeah, I think I think Romero's have stayed quite consistent, though, that it's that it's simply the bite. Right. Yeah. OK. Um so we got oh, some tooling up in a gun I've got shop. We... The door. So... Sorry, sorry, sorry. Stay there, stay there. Sorry. Nice. No nice. no yeah. Okay. Just go. Get on with it. Wonder who? Wonder who it's going to be. Um, I, I imagine a... it could be. 
do I think she has a what? Some sort a of gentleman caller. Massage. Is she going to spend the rest ten a.m. every day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it a zombie? Oh, hello. I hope this is hello, a gag, guys. and she'll Carry come back, and me. she's like a zombie going. Ugh, ugh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Vicky, do the gag. What is it? Which movie is it? Is that Return of the Living Dead 3 or something where the the zombie actually says, brains? I, I love that. That's one of the most horrific zombies I've ever seen in cinema. That thing I've got a, in the I've, basement. I've got a signed Return of the Living Dead poster here by Graham Humphrey, who signed your poster for you before. He told you yeah, 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 that yeah. Jaws poster of yours. Okay, this is for I, a friend I of mine in L.A., Look, your poster's there. It's just that you got me. Oh yeah, so it is. Great poster. Um, yeah, yeah. I've got a friend in LA, and his favourite film of all time is Return of the Living Dead. Weirdly, is I I, I get confused. I remember watching Return of the Living Dead and thinking it was fantastic, but there's so many of them. I'm just like, then they all sound ever so slightly Sorry. similar. No worries. Oh, she didn't do it, Alex. I know. That's shocking. Sorry, sorry, All right, sorry. Let's pick it that was up. Just... No worries. I'll cut that out. Don't be All silly. Right. It's fine. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, where were we? Uh so they drive around the mall in a car, hitting zombies, a bit like GTA. Is that right, Alex? I've never played GTA. It felt like GTA. It is very, around hitting it's very much like that. Oh, oh. Or the old, uh, the old Carmageddon. Carmageddon mm. on the PlayStation had a very similar thing because famously that game, they were all humans that you were running down and the blood was red and they went, ah, ah, no, 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 you cannot have that. So they just changed the blood to green and made them zombies. So, yes, it's very much like Carmageddon. Job done. Um, we get more of those fun and games. We've got a montage to, to lighten the mood where they're getting sweets and they're ice skating and playing golf and eating cheese and having their hair done and getting <laughs> spices. So, so into it. <laughs> it was so weird. I watched them the other way around and f- just organically in Dawn of the Dead 2004, when they don't eat sweets, I was like, "You, that's mad. That's mad to me. Where's the pick and mix? You're in a shopping centre. Go nuts for the pick and mix. And then I watched this and I was like, uh-huh, 100% that's correct. A big wheel of cheese, go on the arcades. So much fun, yeah. so much fun. I, 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 it yeah. blew my mind that there's an arcade there and they would ever leave the arcade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd get so good at Frogger. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved that. <laughs> uh, Pete says the immortal line, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Mm. Great. Um, and then One Roger, of cinema's best it, taglines ever as well. What a tagline for both. Yeah. Both they Obviously, they use it again for 2004 because it is just one of the greatest taglines ever. And then Roger's fading away and he's, he's, he's going to try not to come back. And it's so sad. It's so tragic. Um, mm-hmm. and, and his face I here wrote, as he's uh, changing. Look, I, I wrote down, not Roger, sad face. I loved him so yeah. much. I was like, I was like, oh, not Roger. Roger's the best of you. They always take the best of us. <laughs> and the close-up of his I'd face here as he, cha- as he changes was the scary VHS cover in the video store when I was a kid that frightened me of this film. Um, um, so, so, you know, if you're Roger here, would you, would you kill yourself? Would you get someone else to kill you or, or would you do what he's doing, which is trying not to come back, which I'm not sure that's a viable option. 
<laughs> I mean, you oh, get someone else to kill you. Um, you, you. You do what, but you get Peter to kill you because I mean, like obviously, you don't want to die before you've changed. Like because like in his misguided head, he's like maybe, just maybe, and so you know. I'd wait. I just wouldn't trust either of you to do it if it was me. If I was Roger in this situation and I was like, just remember, I don't want to be one of those. So when I come back, you know, bang, do it. I think you'd find it too funny. You'd be like, look at him. Look at him trying to get up the escalator. <laughs> I was going to say, are you, are you, is that a competency issue or an emotional issue? Like you don't trust us to do emotional. it because we love you so much that we couldn't possibly put up bullet in your head or we just crack well, with weapons and we miss it's different it's what it's one of both i believe chris would be like it's too funny i'm not gonna do it and you'd accidentally <laughs> shoot yourself in the hand or something so it's both i would i would kill response. you i would kill you straight away right then i'd put some salt i'd put some right. salt and pepper on you and that i'd let a zombie bite me and then i'd eat you <laughs> okay I, i'll tell you what i do as soon as you ask i'd i'd kill both of you just in case before you'd even been bitten i'd be like just as a ch- i'd kill both of you before the zombie outbreak just in case <laughs> i'm gonna kill both of you next week <laughs> i'd like to set a zombie movie in a podcast studio i think i think we could have some fun with that mm. um, all right keep it to yourself jesus christ every idea is gold chris <laughs> um, so there's a TV debate happening. Uh, scientists want to drop bombs on the big city, and it's sort of this world building that Romero does. He's always trying to keep you aware of what's happening uh, on a larger scale um, with this with this outbreak. Um, Roger Zombie rises slowly as Pete has his gun trained on him, and he fires, and, and Roger's gone. I'm sorry, Alex. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. At this tough time, um, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I do like what they've done, like, you know, that the old show don't tell. And I love the fact that the apartment they live in um, has gone from, I, it's little things like early on, you see all their weapons are just sort of stacked in a bucket, uh, a big bin in the corner of the room. And then later on, you see that they've like nailed actual gun racks to the wall and all the weapons are yeah. sort of put out nicely. And like the TV's got bigger than it was at the start. And like, you know, you get the sense that, oh, wow, they've been here for quite a while that they've done the place up. Yeah, they sort of get domesticated. Yeah, it's amazing the the way they've made the the flat upstairs look. I think it's brilliant, and that you know, um, apart from the weird bit, I like it because for the mood, it's very strange. But uh, Peter buries his friend and then serves the couple a fancy dinner, (laughs) which I found (laughs) a weird beat. And then they've got some sort of sad sex upstairs or post sex or whatever. and I like the fact that the you know the guys are having a martini and playing cards, and then Fran is making fondue. <laughs> it's like it's the most seventies thing you've ever seen. But to talk mm. the earlier point we're making about like late stage capitalism, such as it is, not fulfilling your needs. They've played house. They are as safe as they can really ever be, and they're not happy. Like she, that when they you know, um, uh-uh. like they're messing around with the telly, and it's they're just they're not That's satisfied, fine. even though they've got all the creature Your comforts. Comfort. I guess she was making a shit point. <laughs> Riverside has shut Vicky down. I disagree strongly. I can hear you. <laughs> was she talking about feminism and it's just paused her? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm feeling so uh, vulnerable. Hey, guys, just vulnerable. I think it's because George Romero told me I can't go shopping and I do like shopping. So, right. <laughs> I do. I mean, not to do. I know we shouldn't do this. This, like, you know, remember Berry's thing. 
but so much of my fond memories are in a shopping center <laughs> i can't i was just I, yeah it can't be helped oh like christmas when you go christmas shopping do you not you? like fight what do you not like fight club as well because fight club says all the same shit about <laughs> consumerism uh, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Um, it's I do like Fight Club, and I think because Fight Club is about the sort of crisis of toxic masculinity as relates to IKEA or something, I feel a little bit adjacent to it. Like it's, I do really like that film, but I don't feel as judged for it. But this, this I do <laughs> basically. Anyway, right? Yeah, bloody 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 late capitalism. Where 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 uh, were you, hey, Vicky? Look, Go on. Where 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 was I? Uh, the guys, look. All I'm saying is, the guys have got everything oh, they could possibly uh-huh. want. They've got all their creature comforts, and they're not happy. So there we are. That's it. Big point. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, it, I, it I is. The... Carry up. No, go on, Alex. Go on. I was just saying, yeah, I, I think it's a problem with both these movies, um, which is that, uh, and we'll talk about it at length because I have a lot to say about it on Thursday, but, you know, it's this weird thing where both in both movies people go, yeah, shall we just leave? It's like, are you mad? Are you absolutely mad? You've got, ev- like, you were so safe right now. But it's like, yeah, I ju- it's literally like, I just don't like it here. I don't like it here. It's like, I don't, I, I, I can't truck with either movie on like the amount of time you are safe, knowing what awaits you outside uh, that you, you've reached the point where you're like, this is just not how I want to live. It's like, wow, that is not me. I, I just, it, 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 you know, it like, it, uh, it just it's comes a, out of nowhere for me. I'm like, stay it, there it, as long as possible. It's a discussion in this film though, isn't it? They're not actually going to, they're not definitely doing it until they're forced into it by what's about to happen. Um, but I was a bit disappointed that, that when they do become domesticated, Francine is sort of in the kitchen doing uh, the cooking. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I think that's a bit yeah. of a shame. But then it comes just after she has that great moment where Stephen quite weirdly proposes to her and she just says no, which I think is a, yeah. good, a good strong <laughs> moment for her. Yeah. It's um, not real. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> well, I see. What, I see what you mean because she says at the start, "I am not going to, you know, play mother for you guys or be a housewife." Or I can't remember the exact words. And then by the end, mm. that is exactly what she's doing. She's making them fondue. But she also insists on learning to fly chopper, which is great, and that will. Sorry, go on, Vicky. No, no, that was, I was just saying, yes, that is a good one. So the only thing is, she has a big moment, where, where are my notes? Because I want to get it right. Where Much earlier, she asserts herself and she says, can I say something? Mm. And I think, Fran, you're so close. You don't ask permission. You just say, I'm going to say something and get it done. <laughs> but obviously, you know, it was 1970-something. She, You have to ask permission before you can speak, I guess. Yeah, quite right. Um, right, we're into the bikers um, because there are bikers watching them. And this is, it feels to me like this is a real precursor to The Walking Dead, you know, because the whole idea of The Walking Dead is the zombies are here, but the real threat is the humans. Uh, we've got Tom yeah. Savini, the makeup artist, as Pasquale Bubba. Did you see that his name's Pasquale Bubba? <laughs> no. I thought he was called Blades. Like I, the name I had for him was Blades, but Pasquale Bubba is somehow even better than being called <laughs> just Blades. Um, and they're going to hit them tonight. They're going to hit them all. They get heavily tooled up. They head in on big hogs. And it's quite a spectacle seeing these bikers cruise around the mall and watching bikers killing zombies, but also sort of pointlessly stealing stuff <laughs> and smashing stuff up and looting. And they have a fucking pie fight. Excuse my language. 
um, and they set up what the blood that? pressure. What is that? I wrote that down. I was like, oh, what on earth is this movie? Like, I understand that it's sort of like, it's finding humor in this sort of bleak world. But I'm like, I was just like, this is like the end of Bugsy Malone. It's like, what is happening? Why are they throwing custard pies at people? But it's to undercut yeah. the terror, isn't big, it? Because I'm a bit gutted. A minute, no, I liked it because it's very funny and very silly. So as the viewer, you just relax a little bit, just kick it down a gear, which means then in about five minutes when there's blood everywhere and that person getting eaten, there's guts everywhere, you're, not, you, you're in a different place and it hits you harder because you've just seen pie-faced zombies. Fair enough. We have a pie fan. I get um, it. I get it. Yeah, they set up the blood pressure machine uh, test machine. That's coming back later. Um, Tom Savini knocks a bloke um, off a bike. Uh, he's, sorry, Tom Savini gets knocked off his bike and then slices a zombie with a machete and then decapitates another. And then suddenly he's got a sword and it's awesome. And then all too quickly, Pete shoots him off a balcony. And I'm gutted. I just <laughs> want to see more Savini messing up zombies. Um, and then, as I said, uh, a bloke rushes to use the blood pressure machine and gets got. I just don't know what that is all about. Um, it's... <laughs> it's a gag. It's just a slapstick gag that obviously his heart rate increases as he's being eaten because it would. And it's like, I think that's 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 the only reason it exists. It's like, how funny is it? Because he's dying and we're getting his heart rate because your heart rate goes up and it's reading up, going up heart rate. It's brilliant. It's a great gag. And then his arm's just there at the end with the rest of him missing. Funny. <laughs> We've got the, uh, as I said, the gonk music, um, this sort of clown music as the zombies move through the mall, this this library music that George Romero heard and liked. And as I said, it's again used in Shaun of the Dead. It's just, it all it's all quite strange here. Um, we get the Stephen reveal. Um, uh, he's a zombie now and Romero calls this the greatest zombie performance of all time. Um, Stephen it's starts amazing. leading the zombies. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, go on, Alex. No, I just, I, I just, I, I think his... Him as a zombie is is brilliant. I think it is. It's, it, I'm, I'm not saying my best scene now. I'm not going early. But that that moment where he does lead the zombies and they finally come through the door and he just sort of raises his head and you're like, it's Stephen full zombie. And it's like, I, I honestly think his death as well, like when he's at, attacked by zombies, considering, and you said it at the start, B, like, you know, he does have a great arc because it's sort of like, he's gone on this journey where he has become one of the boys and he's been taught how to fire. And he sort of, I guess, to a certain degree, replaced Roger in Peter's life as his best buddy in this mall. And yet he sort of, at the end, it's the guy who he was at the start who's killed. It's the guy who's like, been a bit stupid like old steve has returned and like you know for everything he's learned old steve before he became tough steve actually is what undoes him at the end mm. heartbreaking um so fran's waiting for pete uh, in a chopper on the roof but pete's watching the zombies enter and he actually puts the gun to his head he's going to kill himself and then he changes his mind and he fights to survive punching zombies as he hurries up to the roof and he runs to the chopper and he does some kung fu kicks, he boards the chopper and they're away. And we get the gonk music over footage of the mall zombies and the credits. So as we said earlier, there was going to be a, a, a the ending was going to be them killing themselves. I guess he would shoot himself in the head and Fran, Fran would have walked into the, the helicopter blades. But um, <laughs> okay. Romero yeah, changed his, like, his mind. Yeah, but also that you <laughs> thought about it. What is that, some weird fantasy? I mean, I guess what she would do is... Maybe, I don't know, lose those clothes because, hey, you know, it's hot up there. And then just walk into the chopper blades, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I haven't read it. But, yeah, 100%. That's what is we're it, 
is it not the uh, is it not the idea that because her whole thing like she's mentioned it three or four times and we've had scenes of like her like she's like teach me how to use the chopper I want to learn how to fly the chopper and in the end her ability to turn the chopper on and get the blade spinning is how she then actually manages to kill herself so it's like all this skill about the chopper has then just been used to kill her There's something wrong with you two <laughs> I guess you know that's this is <laughs> they decided halfway through that that was the wrong ending Romero did. And it's interesting because it's the opposite ending to Night. Night is a very um, pessimistic ending, whereas this is the optimistic ending where there's hope. And it's unlike him. He didn't. He doesn't do this ending very much in his films. And in that interview with Simon Pegg, he said, my biggest thing was avoiding this restoration of order, which seems to be in most horror fiction. Why do it except to upset the apple cart? But I don't know how you'd ever end it. As long as the world stays fucked up, I can keep doing this. And so, yeah, I think this is probably the most hopeful of almost all his movies. And it's interesting. But also, I'm all, you know me, I'm always for the, the, the miserable, depressing ending. But I think this is the right one for this film, for them to go off uh, with a little bit of hope. And, and his films, although they were in the same universe, they never followed on from the previous. I would actually have liked to have seen a sequel to this film with these characters, which we didn't get. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. 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 I'll leave that hanging there. And that's Dawn of the Dead done. Let's do the bits and bobs. Um, Vicky, what is your favourite scene? It's when the zombies are, for, even though I keep banging on about being judged for my great love of John Lewis. Um, it's when the zombies are first like activated in the in the shopping centre and they turn the lights on and they turn the fountain on and they're like tottering around and so it's just before the guys go and do their first hit and run and they just turn on all the the fun electrics in the shopping center and you get to see zombies being stupid i liked it all right alex what's your favorite scene uh, my favourite scene is the tenement scene at the start. I know it's sort of weird seeing as the whole movie is kind of famous for being based around them all, but that tenement scene I just found so like visceral and shocking. And it's just full of so many different moments. Like the moment that you first see the zombies, the moment you first see a zombie biting into a loved one because the loved one doesn't understand it's a zombie. And like the effects that Tom Savini does where she loses flesh from her arm and her neck. I'm like, what? The guy nearly being killed by a slow zombie. The fact they put their loved ones in the cellar and like the ones that have broken out the sheets are devouring each other. Uh, and then like then the military guy just popping through the air vent go, everything okay? And it's just like, it's humor, it's bleak, it's horrible, it's emotional. It gives you an idea of the threat of these zombies. That whole tenement section for me is just absolutely brilliant. So that part of the film. Okay. Um, mine is uh, the biker checking his blood pressure in the middle of the melee. <laughs> um, and can you indulge me for a moment? Because I decided I wanted to do some research on this uh, particular zombie. And I went onto Reddit and I found a post attempting to figure out what the guy's blood pressure would have been had the test been allowed to be completed. So someone has researched this. So let's assume the guy started off with a totally normal blood pressure of 120 over 80. Once the zombie outbreak happened, his life became a chaotic mess that left him permanently stressed and dehydrated. Eventually, he found himself joining a ravaging band of motorcyclists who thrive on death, chaos and terrible zombie battling tactics. Their scavenging lifestyle meant that the water sleep was scarce and canned goods alcohol were plenty. 
Due to the constant threat of potentially becoming zombie food, the guy lived in a stressed out state that left him irritable and paranoid. During the mall attack, he found himself exerting a lot of energy and he makes a drunken choice to test his blood pressure on a machine. However, due to the fact that he was in the middle of the melee, he gets straight up destroyed by hungry zombies. Here are some of the important variables. Lack of sleep, dehydration, alcohol consumption, sodium heavy diet, physical exertion, stress, fear. With all that in mind, his blood pressure would be around 202 over 128. Here's the working out. The 202, 202 systemic pressure is easy because Chuck is in the throngs of chaos. And between the exercise, stress and physical exertion, it's easy to assume that 200 would be crossed. As for the 128, that's from physical exertion, fear, stress, lack of sleep, causing his blood vessels to constrict his heart rate to elevate. Thus, when the action started, the pressure had to be greater to push through the artery walls. The short burst of sprinting, the carrying of a mannequin and fear elevated Chuck's diastotic to easily 128 during the melee. So there you have it. This totally speculative guess puts an age-old question to rest and hopefully brings you peace. Warning, I'm not a medical professional. This is purely speculative. I've done a lot of research, but we'll never actually know what this dude's actual blood pressure would have been. <laughs> I mean, you can cut all that, Nikki, but well, I no, found so, it uh, interesting. No, 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 60 seconds, I'm never going to get back. <laughs> okay, uh, most valuable whatever, Alex. Uh, George Romero. Um, I do. I, I do think this is a, a fantastic film. I sort of, I sort of found myself while I was watching it going, "Oh man, this is." If we got two shopping montages, this feels long, and it is a long film. But I actually, in, in hindsight, once I digested what I'd experienced, I was like, "No, I really felt like, but I, I felt." It achieved that thing of really nailing the passage of time. I, I like really setting up the geography of the mall perfectly. And like me sort of getting an idea of the practicalities of what it would be like surviving in that mall. I mentioned it earlier, that idea of them sort of slowly turning the flats, the storeroom into a home, them like building the fake wall to deceive the zombies, them sort of like, you know, just becoming much, much better at running this mall and it being a home, you know, when they slaughter the zombies and, you know, make it safe for themselves. And I, I, you know, I've, I've got this thing about really being transported like into a movie and about two thirds of the way through, I was completely like engrossed in this functioning, like habitat of the shopping mall that the three of them had built for each other or for initially. And so I think the fact that George Romero has created this, this sort of this this world like he's built this world that is so engrossing i'm giving it to george romero vicky my mvw is actually having been quite snide about it it is the critique of late stage capitalism western capitalism and the fact that when we go shopping we are hollow and we're trying to fill a deep-seated emotional need by buying shit we don't need um, because I do think of this film quite a lot when I do shop like that. And I do shop like that um, if I get sad or if I get anxious or if I get nervous or just a bit sort of don't really know what to do with my energy <laughs> and emotions. And I do go into a shop and I do stare at stuff that I'm ultimately not going to buy. And I think of this film quite a lot. And I think it's the most, for me, it's the most enduring thing about this film above and beyond like certain scenes. It's just the idea that when we shop, we are zombified in some way. Can I ask her, would you take uh, my mum out next time she's in London? Because she loves nothing oh more than God, going and to. looking at stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. I mean, honestly, you'd be you'd be helping me out. Yeah, that's her That's her bag. I, I, like, I would not genuinely stuff, love it. Just looking at shit. Yeah, great. Fantastic. Oh, this is, this is a dream. 
Vicky could do that, Alex, while you and I are at the football. Oi, oi, <laughs> boys, <laughs> kick it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've, I'm found, I find it easy this week because the, the category is most valuable, whatever. Um, and this person I'm picking was performing three tasks on this movie. I'm going for Tom Savini for his acting, for his stunts and for the amazing uh, makeup he does on the film, particularly, as we established earlier, in the second half when the zombies look a bit better. But um, you have to indulge me again. I went down a little Tom Savini rabbit hole oh, and or duck hole. <laughs> and um, and uh, so he was supposed to work on the first movie, but he was working as uh, Romero wanted to use him, but he was working as a, a combat photographer in Vietnam. Um. His job was to shoot um, the damage that machines did to people. And he said, through the lens, I saw some hideous stuff. And to cope with it, he tried to think of it as special effects. And then all the special effects he's done since then in these horror films has been inspired by what he saw in Vietnam, which I find quite shocking, to be honest. But um, anyway, he's just told, he tells a little story, which I think is worth hearing. In 1970, in Vietnam, while on guard duty, a flare was triggered in the jungle. Savini was watching. Against military protocol, he fired into the bush without informing his superiors. Other soldiers began firing until a duck wandered from the bush completely unharmed. Due to his failure to follow orders, Savini was taken off guard duty from his bunker on the following evening. That same evening, the bunker came under attack and several soldiers were killed. As a result of the incident, Savini earned the nickname Duck Slayer. And to this day, Tom Savini will not eat duck. <laughs> Good old, good on Tom Savini. Can't eat a duck. Beautiful. And what would you change, Alex? So I have a real issue with Peter's death. Um, Not Peter's death, sorry. Peter's decision to die. Um, So Peter seems to have been, to my mind, the most capable of the entire team throughout this. And uh, he has a sort of a real desire to live. And yes, he loses Roger, uh, his BFF. But his survival instinct seems so massive that for me, and this is obviously just my change, it's such a fucking curveball when Peter's like, suddenly I want to die. I'm going to die here. Franny, off you go. You know, I'll, I'll just I'll just stand there and die. I'm like, did, did, I couldn't work it out. I was, try, I, I was trying to imprint possibilities on him. Like, did he want to die fighting zombies because he wanted to go down in a blaze of glory? Uh, did he just want to die full stop? Um did, did why is the man who's capable of dealing with this like just suddenly gone i'm i'm over it i don't want to get in the helicopter with you um like how certain can that idea have been in his head that he suddenly goes do you know what actually fuck it what am i doing i'm now gonna karate kick my way out of here which is fantastic by the way when he karate zombies and goes actually i'm gonna i'm making a run for it it's like what a switcheroo like just the whole a uh, death Death is waiting for me, and I embrace it with open. No, get me in the helicopter. <laughs> so I, I just, I just, I don't mind it as a turning point. I just wish I understood what 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 Peter is, what, what he's thinking, and his reasoning behind that. Because he's been like to me, maybe wrongly, I interpreted him as the one I will survive this throughout the film. End scene. Okay. Any any um, thoughts on that? Did, did, have I? I mean, I know you don't like us to comment on each of those changes, Chris, because it's like everyone's allowed their right, their own change. But like, have I misread that? Is is there another 
way of looking at what Peter's doing. What did you guys think? I think it's daft. I don't. I didn't like it at all. Vicky, I'll let you take that. It, it doesn't make any sense for the character. I agree with everything you just said. There you go. I do. I really do. Genuinely do. Okay. I think it, it comes out of nowhere. It makes no sense to me why he would be like, no, 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 this is it. This is it for me. Oh, hang on. <laughs> hang on a second. And luckily, <laughs> Fran hasn't flown off yet, but she really could have done because he's like, no, go on, go out, go without me. It, it made, it, I didn't get it at all. Uh, Vicky, what's your change? All right, so let's look at Fran for a second. She wants to learn to fly a helicopter. She learns to fly a helicopter. She flies the helicopter away. That's no good. So we just need to put a little bit of a bump in that because she has got braver in learning to fly, I guess. But she still there needs to be something she hasn't done in order for her like storyline to sort of wrap up. So I'm just going to say she needs to learn hand-to-hand combat, right? And in order to get to the chopper, she has to do the thing she hasn't done yet because she's been too scared to do it. So on her way to the helicopter, she like chops someone hand-to-hand fighting a zombie, which is what she should have done with the monk. When that monk bursts into the room and touches her ankle and she loses her mind, she should have put a spike through his head. But obviously then that moment would have come a bit too soon. Anyway, in order to get away, she has to do the thing that she hasn't done yet. And that's good because it gives Peter the time to change his mind. And so then everything links up really well. Nice. Cool. Solid. Good, Love good it. change. Um, I don't know uh, if I've Chris? misunderstood the beginning of the film, but I think maybe it's social commentary, but I feel like the cops should be there. The SWAT team should be there to wipe out the basement, not to make an arrest. I just don't think that makes any sense. You can still have a racist cop, but I, I don't really understand that opening sequence. And unfortunately, the pie fight has to go. It's a terrible Aww. idea. It completely takes <laughs> me out of the movie. I love it. I believe, I believe as well in doing my research, I'm doing my research. George Romero's wife at the time, who was pretty involved with the making of this film, it's her voice was on a, the tannoy. Was, uh, was a baker. Point. Oh, I thought you were going to say <laughs> she, she was a baker and she, she wanted to get some product in the movie. Uh, she hated this scene and um, told him he should remove it. He did not. So, George, uh, listen to your wife. Listen to your missus, people. And that's Dawn of the Dead oh. done. All right. So, then. Uh, I, I, I have a I quiz. I want to say I've missed this. I have a Let's quiz more, more, and the more quiz. Based quizzing. Yep, I'm going to maul you both. Um, I'm going to give you the name of a shopping mall, and uh-huh. you've got to tell me the city that it's in. Um, these are all UK based. In fact, they're all they're all English. They're all English. So here we go. All right, all right. All right. let me just slimber up. Whoa, this is, here we go. Here we go. This is this is Vicky's bag, right? This is your thing. You know all these shopping malls. You've probably oh, been to Alex. all of them at some point. Stop, to look at stuff. stop with the mind games. Stop with the mind games. <laughs> you ready, all right. Vicky? All right. Yeah, all right. yeah, I am ready. Meadow Hall. Sheffield. Uh, Sheffield. Alex. It was me. Are you joking? Very close. I, very close. There's a delay. Up, there's a delay. I got that. I got that. I absolutely got that. Definitely got that. That was me. It's it's whoever starts speaking first. Um, it was me. Number two. Which is me. <laughs> the Glades. Uh, Bromley. <laughs> Correct, Vicky. That was my first shopping centre. The Glades. Very good. Um. Cabot Circus. Canary Wharf. No. Uh, is it uh, uh, Nottingham? 
No, this is the only one I hadn't heard of actually. That's in, that's a, that's the big shopping centre in Bristol, but apparently. Oh, no. Okay, number three, the Whitgift Centre. <gasps> I know this. Uh, oh, I know this. No, it's somewhere hull, I've been. Hull. It's it's uh, oh god. Manchester. No. Uh, <laughs> Shit. I'm, give, I'm giving you a clue. What is it? I can't. Uh, see it's Croydon. You. Vicky, you didn't really see the clue of no. me pointing at myself. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> number four. You got to be fastest here. All right. The Trafford. Manchester. Oh, Vicky. Yeah, well right. played, Vicky. Right. No arguments there. No. Arguments okay. There. Uh, this is it. You, it's neck and neck. So whoever gets this wins. Bullring and Grand Central. Birmingham, 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 Birmingham. It was me. That was me. That was me. <laughs> you know it was Alex, Vicky. You know it was him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. No. Oh, I mean, as that first one. That as... Yeah. Like, I got Sheffield foot. You listen back to it, you're going to be so embarrassed. There was the delay. As that first one. As yeah. that first one was very nearly a draw, uh, Alex just got there first, but we'll call that one a draw. Let's uh, let's do the tiebreaker to decide. Bollocks. So the tiebreaking, the tiebreaking question is: Where is the biggest shopping centre in England? Uh, London. London. You've... Yep. Which bit of London? Blue You've probably water. both been to it. So. She- she- Shepherd's Bush. Shepherd's Westfield. Bush. Westfield. White, Westfield. White Stratford. Alex, Stratford. Alex got it. Alex got no! it. Alex got it. Shepherd's Bush. Westfield. Oh. What? <laughs> What did I say before we were recording remotely, Victoria? I said, basically, what will help is if you hard hardwire your internet so you're not on dodgy Wi-Fi. And this has proved how right I was. So, bang. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I I don't know that I would have won that had, had you got better Wi-Fi. But the delay on your internet connection, sexy talk, the delay on your internet connection has uh, made me the winner. So there you go. Thank you very much. I love it. Thanks for the quiz, Chris. It was great. Turns out I know more about malls than Vicky. What a turnout. All right, let's look ahead to next week uh, then on the show. Obviously, we're back on Thursday doing 2004's Dawn of the Dead. Uh, but for the moment, uh, here is my clue for next week's Clashoween pairing. The clue is a bloody good night out. That's the clue. Uh, ignore the slight Australian accent because I don't know where that came from. A bloody good night out. No, it's not an Australian movie. I'll probably do it one more time without the accent. A bloody good night out. That is your clue for next week's pairing. Head on to our Twitter at ClashPod if you want to take a guess at that. We're also on Instagram, as I said, and TikTok at ClashPod. And don't forget, you can find out loads more about the show. Little videos, little fun videos, little long videos, big long videos, all sorts on our brand new, brand spanking new YouTube channel, Clash of the Titles. And that really is it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed our journey through Dawn of the Dead. We will be back on Thursday doing it all over again with Dawn of the Dead. Speak to you then. Bye-bye. Clash of the Titles is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.